demure, appropriate one in the family when you're celebrating something? Or do you happen to be a person that kind of hoots and hollers a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I like that. Raise the roof. Uh, uh, just think about that in terms of who you are. Now, now I've been, of uh, course, in the last 11 years, I've been to a lot of these, but over the years, you know, as a youth pastor for a long time and those kind of things, I've been to lots and lots of graduation ceremonies. And it's just funny to watch people respond when their loved one goes across. Now, when I graduated from seminary, it was a very solemn occasion. You just didn't do that. In fact, they had, in, they had printed in the bulletin, as your graduate uh, degree is conferred, would you please reverently stand? And so everybody, you know, there's little groups of people that would stand and sit down. And uh, that was kind of cool. But it's not at all like what happens at uh, the MACU uh, commencement exercises. You know, it's kind, of, it's kind of the air horns and the whole thing. You know, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Uh, even here in our sanctuary. Uh, I, I remember one of, my, one of my favorite quotes from my favorite football coach ever, uh, Tom Landry, who, uh, you know, in, the, in these days when guys are constantly getting the flag for excessive um, uh, celebration in the end zone, Tom's line to his guys were, when you make a touchdown, I want you to act like you've been in the end zone before. <laughs> I just think that's classic. Well... There are some things that are not so obvious to celebrate in Jeremiah's message today. Um, Jesus is going to say, if you don't celebrate it, the rocks will cry out. Now, we're going to go to Jeremiah 33 in a minute. I'm going to have Bob, if you will, to read the first five verses in just a second. Let me give you a little assignment for next week. Okay, you know, once a teacher, always a teacher. Um, if you will, look up, first of all, find the little Old Testament book of Habakkuk for next week. We're going to be there for a little while. Okay, find that little book. It's over toward almost to the New Testament, certainly between here where we are in Jeremiah and the New Testament. Find it. Uh, you might want to read the first couple of three chapters because we'll be in two and three next week. But you might also want to, and this is, this is an easy assignment in this, this kind of an electronic day, if you can spell his name, Habakkuk, look him up, Google his name, and find out who he is. Okay, that might just be kind of a fun little assignment during part of your devotion time someday. Uh, if you can spell, uh, spell it, and I wouldn't pretend to spell it, stand right here in front of you because I'd goof it up, but it's got three K's in it. That'll help you, okay? And um, see who he is, and we'll be there next week. The question for Jeremiah's day is, what do we got to celebrate? Sometimes in our day, the question is, what do we got to celebrate, right? Let's read the first five verses of Jeremiah 33. Let me, re let me review just for a minute. Where is he? He's, he's not in stocks, but he is in, um, he is in captivity, in, kind of outside the guard court of uh, in, inside Jerusalem. What's going on outside Jerusalem? Can you remember? The Babylonians have laid siege to Jerusalem. They're not inside the city yet, but they're right there. Okay, uh, It's kind of an incredible, incredible time uh, for them. And so the question here, what do we got to celebrate, is a pretty important question, certainly for his day. The year is 587 or so B.C. 
Uh, Jeremiah's kind of got an interesting position here because he has been serving as a prophetic voice for over 40 years by this time. He's well known and hated. Think about that for just a minute. Well known, not liked, not appreciated, mostly hated. And he comes out now with a second message. Bob, read verse 1 through 5. Doesn't sound like much to celebrate yet, does it? And it's not. Now, where does Jeremiah find himself? I want you to go with me real quickly. Just go over a couple of pages. Jeremiah 37. Jeremiah 37. It's going to get worse for Jeremiah. Okay? Um, Before it gets any better. And I'm not sure it ever really got completely better for him. I'm going to start in verse 15 in chapter 37. Then the officials were angry at Jeremiah and they beat him. And they put him in jail in the house of Jonathan the scribe, which they'd made into the prison. For Jeremiah had come into the dungeon, that is, the vaulted cell, and Jeremiah stayed there many days. Now King Zedekiah sent and took him out. And in his palace, the king secretly asked him and said, Is there a word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said, There is. Then he said, You'll be given into the hand of the king of Babylon. Wasn't a good message, was it? Look down at verse 21. Then King Zedekiah gave commandment and they committed Jeremiah to the court of the guardhouse. They gave him a loaf of bread daily from the baker's street until all the bread in the city was gone. So Jeremiah remained in the court of the guardhouse. That was generally what happened to him. But as we looked at last week, occasionally they'd throw him in a cistern or they'd put him in stocks or they would beat him because uh, they just didn't like his message. And don't you, can't you imagine on certain days, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, wanted to say, listen, I am just the messenger here. You know, what's the old song? Don't shoot, I'm just the piano player, you know. Um, uh, It's kind of the idea. He finds himself in this desperate situation. And in that desperation, as he predicts some pretty devastating things for them, and yet today we'll see him predict some pretty wonderful things for them, Jeremiah learns some things about God. Look at verse 2. He recognizes some things about God. And this, uh, Jeremiah 33, 2, is pretty important to us here. Okay? Um, Let's catch two or three of them. Uh, Some really key theological truths here. First of all, um, God formed the earth. Notice what he says here. Thus the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. Okay? So the idea here is, is, is God Formed the earth. Now, if you if um, if we won't take the time right this minute to go back to Genesis two, but I think you'll remember as the earth was made, the Bible says that it was formless and void, 
and the God and God formed the earth. In chapter two, He forms man. Uh, um, and, and this word "formed" is used a lot of times here. What what I need to kind of depict here, uh, and, and this is a hard depiction for me because I'm not good with my hands in this way. But if you are, maybe you can can depict something or kind of think of it as God holding raw materials in his hands, as yourself holding, holding pie dough in your hands and forming something out of that. Uh, bread dough, ladies, if you, if you make bread dough, I used to have a, a friend um, by the name of Joe Nakamura back in, uh, back in eastern Kentucky who made the most incredible cinnamon rolls. And I, I kind of recruited her to, to cook for our youth camps in, uh, in that state when we were there. And she would get up every morning like at 4 o'clock and start, start rising uh, yeast dough and making rolls. And she, the, the very last thing she'd do with them is put red hots in them. Oh, they were just incredible. Just amazing. These kids didn't know what, how good they had it, you know. Um, and that was, by the way, 20 pounds or so ago, you know, that I remember that. But, um, uh, but she could form that dough in her hands. Now, kind of be thinking about that. Maybe like a sculptor who forms a, a piece of, of uh, uh, artwork in their hands. And, and you watch as, as they form something. That's kind of the idea here. God has formed the earth. Uh, secondly, and it's a little bit different idea, God has established his creation. He's established his creation. Uh, go with me. Over to chapter 51. Yes, this is a long book. 51, and somebody read verse 15 out of 51. It's just a beautiful, kind of a beautiful poetic verse. But Jan, you're probably reading, are you reading from what translation? Okay. Uh, literally, the word in 15, he made the earth, but a different word is used next uh, in, in my Bible and in some other Bibles. He established the world. He established the world by his wisdom. Okay. So it's the idea here that the Lord's wisdom uh, and, and here's kind of the phrase I want you to think about and for establish. He puts all things in their proper place. It's one thing to make it. It's another thing to order things. And he puts things in order. And the truth is, uh, in our day and in any day, creation would be chaotic without the Lord's establishment, his ordering of those things in their proper place. Now, by the way, isn't it wonderful that Jeremiah can see these things in the midst of, you know, hearing the Babylonians shout at them from outside the city gate? The Lord made us. He made all these things. He put them in their proper place. He established it. And then one more thing. Uh, it's three times is it said really here in one verse, uh, the name, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. He gave us his name. Now, I begin to think about, in the context here of Jeremiah talking about the Lord made everything there is in the, in the earth and in the universe, and he established all that. He put it in place, in a proper place, in proper order. 
then what's the deal about his name? I, I really believe here, he gives us his name, and by the way, this is a holy name here. It's always going to be, it, it's the word Yahweh in the original. It's always going to be capitalized L, Lord, in your, um, in your Bibles when you read it. Because it's a revered name. They really didn't even want to write it. They were that in reverence and awe of it, the name. But, but I wonder here if what's being told to Jeremiah is that... Um, He's emphasizing here, God is emphasizing, not only did I make it, not only did I order it, did I establish it, but I want you to remember the who in all of this. It's the Lord your God. The all-powerful one did this. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I was with somebody the other day who's, who's really convinced that, you know, the earth was created and the universe was created in six 24-hour days. And, I, you know, I... I get that. You know, it kind of reads that way in Genesis 1 and 2. And you kind of got to deal with kind of figuring all that. Uh, as I'm around people who are a lot smarter than me, um, they help me to kind of stretch my mind to think, well, maybe that was epochs of time or, you know, maybe it wouldn't. Um, although, in the scriptures it does say, and there was an evening and a morning and it was the second day. Okay, I mean, that, that's problematic. I, I know that there are people a lot smarter than me that believe in theories that I don't believe in. And you know, sometimes we can debate those things. Sometimes I just kind of get weary of it and don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. Because I think the important point is, and the point that the Bible is trying to teach us, is not exactly how, but who. That's the all-important point. In fact, I don't really care all that much how God made the earth. I don't care how. If he flung the stars in space, as the old gospel song said. I don't really care a whole lot about that. Or if it took a big bang, which is, you know, okay, that, I'm okay with that too, as long as I know who pulled the trigger. And I believe the Bibles are replete with who did it. Jeremiah catches that. And he passes that on to us in this message that he receives. Now God, in verse 3, is going to give Jeremiah another personal answer. Now, I want us to catch this because um, when he gives this message, let me read verse 3 to you again. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. So the word you is in there three times. Now, Jeremiah is evidently not from southern Israel because these are not, this is not God will tell y'all. Okay? Now, the, the truth is, the, he actually is from the south. But the point here is the message God is delivering is a very personal one for Jeremiah. This is you singular each time in the original language. I'm going to tell you something, he says. How wonderful here Then, in the middle of this personal crisis, God gives him another, a second time, he gives them a personal message. Now, what's the message? Well, he says that. But he begins by saying, I'm going to show you some unsearchable things. Unsearchable in our day has a funny context, doesn't it? Because you can search all kinds of search engines and find all kinds of stuff, can't you? 
And in fact, if I'm looking for, I was looking for a fact this morning to use, and um, I found all kinds of contradictory things as I searched the search engines for this, this fact. Isn't it interesting? You know, back in the days when I was grading lots of papers, a kid would quote, you know, 15 times in a two-page paper, Wikipedia. Well, as long as it's in Wikipedia, it must be true, right? That's not exactly the case. God is going to give Jeremiah, and you and me, he's reminding him that his intellect, that what God knows is beyond searching out. I can ask him for it. In fact, the book of James says, you want to be wise, ask the Lord and he'll give you wisdom. But he's going to give him some unsearchable truth here. What a beautiful thing. Our knowledge is limited, certainly. His is not. And so he promises him here a personal answer. Now, there's something kind of interesting that he hints at in verse 4. The city is being besieged from the outside, therefore they can't get uh, lumber and building materials to the inside of the city to um, kind of bolster up their defenses, okay? You can imagine if the Babylonians are building siege ramps outside the city, they would want to do something about that. We're going to need some, we're going to have to fortify here, we're going to have to build up here and do whatever. So what they've had to do in order to do some of those projects that are really necessary is they've had to deconstruct inside. So the word that goes in your blank there is um, there has been a citywide destruction from within. This deconstruction begins, destruction begins before the enemy even gets inside the gate. Are you catching this? They're taking their houses and palaces apart just to provide reinforcement. Somebody, if you wouldn't mind, go over to Isaiah 22.10. Isaiah talks about this too. He sees it also in his day. Isaiah 22.10. Catch what John read? Your houses you're tearing down. You're having to tear down the house just to build up the wall from the inside. So before the enemy ever arrives to destroy the city, the city is imploding. Uh, there, there are lots of destruction from within going on. Now, here's the question. Why does all this take place? And I think the answer is shared with us and shared with Jeremiah in verse, 30, in verse 5. 33 verse 5. Look at it again. While they are coming to fight with the Chaldeans, you can hear Babylonians there when you see Chaldeans, and to fill them with the corpses of men whom I have slain in my anger and my wrath, and I have... Here's the truth. I have hidden my face from this city because of their wickedness. This was predicted. Um, I want you to go with me two places. Somebody would go to Deuteronomy 31 and read 16 through 18. Deuteronomy 31, somebody go there. Cindy, would you do that? 31, 16 through 18. And then I need somebody else, this is not on your page, to go to number 6. And read 24 through 26. Ruth, that'd be great. I want to contrast some things that the Lord promises here. Why does this destruction take, its, take place? It's because of what God actually promised to Moses several 
hundred years before. Okay, in about 1500 BC. We're now in about 600, 587 actually BC. So it's 900 and some years. Moses said, this is going to happen. Uh, Cindy, you mind to read uh, Deuteronomy 31? The nation has turned away from him and began to flirt with other gods, which are what, by the way? Not. They're just not. They're, you know, uh, amulets of wood and it's styrofoam. It's about as good as styrofoam. They're, they're not. They can't do anything because they're not. And because of that, and I don't want you to see here the game that we play with the toddler. You know, the first game that a toddler plays is they'll hide behind their hand and say, and, and you'll say, you know, where's Piper? This is not what we're talking about. We're talking, God says, I am going to hide my face from you. And in Jeremiah's day, he, he did. I can't imagine anything being more tragic and sad in my life than to have the Lord say, you know what, buddy? You know? But we've got to contrast it. Okay? Here's what he also promises in this beautiful benediction from Numbers 6. Ruth 24 and 25 and 26. Do you catch the contrast? Isn't that where I want to live? With the Lord's face turned toward me, shining on me. Can I promise you something? You didn't accomplish this. Okay? Sorry. You're really good, but you're not that good. But one that was better than you and better than me took the test for you. And because of that, you live in, in the constant benefit, the constant grace of the Lord's face shining upon you. In many ways, it couldn't get any better. <laughs> the Lord shine His face upon you. Turn His face towards you. Well, they were living in kind of another day. But there's a beautiful word beginning in verse 6. What's the first word in your verse 6 in your Bible? I, did I hear nevertheless? That's the one in mind. What else? Was there another word? Yet. 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 That's a great word too. A little shorter word, but it's a great word. Nevertheless. You know what? I want to look at in, in the Bible. I want to look for God's neverthelesses. His yets. You know? Uh, and, and here's one of those beautiful ones here. Somebody read 6 down through 11.
Aren't you glad that Jeremiah's message doesn't end in desolation? You know, the picture he's showing is that at one of these days, there's not going to be one brick sand on another, and when you show up here, there's not going to be the sound of crowds and rejoicing. There's going to be crickets, birds chirping, and that's it. Very busy place now. It won't be a, a few years hence, a few days hence, in fact. And that's going to last a while. Look at 25, chapter 25. Go back to chapter 25. And I want to read to you just verse 11. It's going to last a while. Here's what he says. The whole land will be a desolation and a horror. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon. How long? Seventy years. So Jeremiah can point them to a time in the future. Seventy years in the future. He, by the way, no longer will be there. Thank the Lord for him. He gets out of all this and gets beamed to heaven eventually, you know. It's not going to be pleasant for him any of the rest of the, his life, but he will be with Jesus before this is all over. So 70 years, this is going to take place. But I want to fast forward about 600 years or so. Here's what Isaiah says. You want to go to it with me? Isaiah 9. By the way, Isaiah is the next book left. You'll recognize this. We read it at Christmas time. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. Recognize it when you got there? For a child will be born to us. Now that's not talking about 70 years from now. That's talking about 600 years or so from now. In Jeremiah's day. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest upon his shoulder. And his name will be... Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. All kinds of names he was given and still given. We sing them still. And we better continue to sing them because we're going to sing them for all eternity. But I think, as Jeremiah turns his, his message from God, now turns to the future in this nevertheless passage. There's a 70-year period there where this is going to go really bad. It's going to go sideways for 70 years, and it's going to be better, though. You're going to come back to here after that. But I think he sees much further from that, and I'm going to make a case for that in just a minute. God looks forward to a time when there will be restoration in verse 7 and a time of unity. Now, it's interesting here, because as, as Steve read verse 7, he talks about, I'm going to restore the fortunes of Judah, the fortunes of Israel. I'll rebuild them as they were at first. You've got to realize, there really is no more Israel. Uh, sometimes, you ever hear the term, the lost tribes of Israel? The ten northern tribes have kind of gone, uh, they've already been kind of, um, kind of included or, or uh, assimilated into um, Assyrian culture. So, they're really kind of, 
hardly any more. There's Judah, the nation of Judah, that by Jesus' day is going to be known as Jews, right? And, there, and there's a, a, a smaller tribe, Benjamin, that's going to kind of be included with that, although they've been decimated from, from mistakes they made way back in the book of Judges. And then there are a few Levites, maybe a few hundred or a few thousand Levites that's kind of left here. So it's probably not talking about that. There's, there's just a few of them left. So how is this big unity project going to be done? It's going to take place in what, if you look at the very end of the Bible, in chapter 21 of Revelation, two or three places, it's called a new Jerusalem. Can I give you the address? Somewhat, it's 14,600 North Portland in Oklahoma City. But we're just a little tiny part of it. The church. A new Jerusalem. A new nation. He's going to make that from all of these. They're going to come from all over the world to, to become part of that. So that's way in the future. Jeremiah sees way in the future. So does John. It's not even happening in John's day when he writes it in Revelation 21. It's just starting. But he's looking forward to our day in many ways. Now, look at verse 8. I want to read it again from the, from the American Standard Version. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me and by which they have transgressed against me. Two very, very important points here. Jeremiah makes it really clear. God makes it really clear through the prophet Jeremiah that sin is holy. Now, you notice how I spelled that word. That means completely. Okay, Sin is completely the fault of the people. My sin is my deal. Sin is wholly the part of the fault of the people. <clears throat> and forgiveness is wholly an act of God's grace. Isn't that kind of the message of the gospel? Judah, the nation, has a sin problem. It's not a political one. Not, I could get really political here. Because we think we're going to figure our way out of our, our current message by politics. Sorry, it has never really quite worked that way. Okay? Uh, Larry, that doesn't mean we don't need to be active and vote and all that stuff. I, I, just not, I better do that or you won't talk to me anymore. <laughs> but our problem is a sin problem, guys. Always has been, kind of always will be. And who's the answer to that? God alone. It's wholly an act of grace. They can't save themselves from this mess they're in. Neither can we. Neither can I. I'm, it's going to depend on God to do that. And when this takes place, Jeremiah says, everybody's going to notice the nation's are going to celebrate. There's this celebration that I was talking about earlier. Uh, in verse 9, when this happens, it'll be a name of joy. It'll be to me a name of joy, praise and glory before all the nations of the earth. Everybody in the earth was going to see and hear of all the good that I do for them, and they will fear and tremble because of all the good and all the peace that I make for it. 
And then he begins to talk about this little bit of desolation. And yet Jeremiah is allowed to see beyond it. I want to fill in the last two blanks from verse 11 because we've got to quit. But I want to say this about that. It's interesting that Jeremiah is able to, as God talks to him, hear a sound 70 years in the future. And, it's, and God says it's going to be a sound of a wedding. What happens at weddings? People celebrate. Okay? It's going to be a sound of a wedding and it's the sound of worship. In fact, he quotes from Psalm 136, which if you'll read from the, seventh, from the third chapter of Ezra, when they do come back, they sing Psalm 136, and it's quoted here. Jeremiah can see that far in the future, and he can see even further. I was reading in my devotional time this week, from, uh, I was finishing up the book of Deuteronomy, and... Um, uh, which is, you know, you know, a little toasty in some spots, but in other places it's like, okay, I catch some things. And, and uh, uh, I'm now in the book of Joshua, which is really interesting, but I'm just kind of reading straight through it. But there's a, there's a passage at the end, the last couple of chapters of the book of Deuteronomy. God takes uh, Moses up to a place called Mount Nebo, Pisgah, Nebo, uh, which is a high place uh, because... He's, getting, he's 120 years old, and he's getting ready to die, and he's getting ready to um, allow Joshua now to take the nation and lead them across the Jordan into the Promised Land. But you remember God says, Moses, you can't go. But he wants him to see it. So he takes him up to uh, Mount Nebo. Now, I did a little research on this, and this is where I got a little conflicted because, you know, some people say this, some people say that. But basically, it's about 3,300 feet high. Skip where your cabin is. How how high is that? 9,000? And it goes up to 14s in that county. But I still don't think from 14,000 feet I could see as far as they say Moses can see here. It says you're going to see Dan, which is to the north. Nebo is, by the way, to the east of uh, Jerusalem. Quite a ways. So you're going to see Dan, which is north. You're going to see kind of Beersheba, which is south, you're going to see across the Jordan. Now I started looking at that. You know, it's 90 miles in one direction, 60 miles in another direction, probably 120 miles in another direction. Kind of, it's kind of the boundaries of Palestine uh, where, where the uh, Israelites will settle in kind of the land of promise. And I realized that at 120 years of age, ain't no human way Moses saw all that stuff. Unless... God allowed him to see it. 120 year old eyes don't see 90 miles, even if you're 3,300 feet in the air. That's not just all that far. What happened with Moses is the same thing that happened with Jeremiah, and I think what can happen with you. <clears throat> Moses was allowed to see beyond his own horizon. Can you? See, right now, my horizon is about this far in front of my face. There's an issue that's just right here, and it's dogging my steps every day. And at the end of my prayer time, God and I talk about it every day. We talk about it several times through the day. Yesterday, because I get to have a little bit of an extended prayer time on, on, uh, on Saturday morning, which is kind of my Sabbath, I get, I get to kind of, okay, I'm dealing with this, and uh, I'm walking around, 
actually outside, hopefully, in the, thankfully, in the backyard because I'm crying and blubbering like an idiot. And I'm thinking, if I go out even to get the paper, the neighbor's going to think I'm losing my marbles, that the cheese has slipped off of my cracker completely. But there was part joy in that. It was a bittersweet joy. Lord, I know you're with us. I know you're going to take care of this. Help me to see beyond this right here. Are you there? Do you know that the Lord, in his gracious goodness, helps you to see 70 years beyond? That's what he did to Jeremiah. And the truth is, for he and Isaiah, they saw 2,000 years in the future and beyond Two more thousand years to what you and I are doing now. I believe if you ask him to, while God is working out your issue, he will help you see beyond it. I really do. I, I think my reaction to this has got to be to kind of join the... Uh, parade of those who are worshiping here in Jeremiah's day and say, okay, one of these days, it's not going to be quite like this. One of these days, we're going to march back into this place and we're going to sing Psalm 136. That's what Jeremiah could see. One of these days, whatever that thing is, God will bring victory to you it may not be this side of heaven. It may not be. And it may be. But my reaction, I think, is to bring the sacrifice of praise while that issue is right before me. Can I tell you something? That is faith. And that's where I want to live. Okay, find out who Habakkuk is. Practice pronouncing that. I'll see you next week.